Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We're beginning a new sermon series this morning. And uh, if you get our e-news or if you were following us online, then you've maybe already seen some of this stuff uh, out. But we are starting a new series this morning called Called Out. Called Out. And I don't know if you, uh, if you got the email or if you saw it online and you thought, oh man, what's going to happen on Sunday morning, right? Am I going to get called out? Um, one of the funny things that I have as interactions with people, uh, sometimes people think that pastors sit in their office and that the Holy Spirit tells everybody secrets to them, and then pastors get out there and call you out on your secrets. He doesn't do that. I'm just letting you know, or at least he does not do that with me. So this called out is not about calling out your stuff or exposing you or I in any way. It has to do with the way that you and I have been called out, that you and I have been invited into a followership and a fellowship of following after Jesus, called into really what would be a a community or a gathering together. Uh, In 1990, I was a freshman in high school, uh, and I don't know, do you guys remember homecoming pep rallies, or do you remember uh, school assemblies, all school assemblies? I'm not even sure if they do that stuff anymore. I'm sure that they do, but we would have uh, assemblies, and they would get all the classes, everybody in the school, all together. Oftentimes, it would be in the gymnasium, and then they would have some type of event or some type of activity or thing going on. And of, uh, of all of those years, I know that in grade school, I had assemblies. In middle school, there was assemblies. In high school, there was, like, there was assemblies in all of those years of education. I only actually remember one in any vivid detail, and it was in 1990. It was a homecoming pep assembly, and it was the year that the movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out. You guys remember that one? Not the 2007 reprise, and not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 and 3, which came out later, but in 1990, the very first one, and it came out, and it was, everybody was talking about it. It was like all over pop culture. Everybody was like talking about it, and it was kind of the the buzz of what was going on. And I remember that because for our pep assembly for the homecoming game against the Kennedy Cougars, the theme of that assembly was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I remember vividly my football coach coming out dressed as Leonardo, and I could never forget that image. And there was Shredder, and there was the rest of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then our crosstown rival, the Kennedy Cougar. There was a cougar outfit, and he was one of the henchmen. He was one of the villains, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had to take him down. And then our mascot got involved, and I just remember there was just like this whole production, this whole play, music, costumes, like the whole thing for this assembly. And the whole goal was to rally the school to that game for one purpose, to defeat the Kennedy Cougars. If you were part of the team and you were being celebrated uh, as part of the team, then you were being championed and you were being highlighted. If you were not on the team but you were part of the school, you were being rallied, you were being collected, and you were being encouraged to come with signs, paint yourself up, be loud, be proud, and let's go defeat the Kennedy Cougars. And I can honestly tell you two things. One, this is the only assembly in all of my years of education that I actually remember anything about. And number two, I don't remember what happened in that game. I don't know whether we won or lost. 
Like, because the assembly is the only part of that whole week that I really remember because we were called out of our classrooms, called out of just our class of freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. We were called to one collective assembly, and we were called to one purpose, and it was to see uh, our team win. And I, I lead with that invitation, and I lead with that, um, that example because for, for most of us, the way that we live our lives is not called into community. It's not like with a bigger purpose. It's not with a, a broader calling. It's not with this kind of collective type of thinking. In fact, most of us live the bulk of our lives uh, kind of considering our own little bubble. Uh, we get up, we go to work, you know, uh, we come home. Our closest concentric circles of relationship and responsibility is really what the bulk of our daily interactions are. And we think highly individualistically about that. And that's not a, a good or bad thing. It's just the way that most of us live our lives. In fact, even in a town the size of Sterling, it's possible for you and I to go out about our daily lives uh, and, and bump into somebody who we've never met who has lived in the same town for as long as you have. And, and it's, it's not that big. You can walk from one side to the other in you know, a fairly short amount of time. But we can get into just kind of these routines and our comings and goings and our circles are so small that it's possible for us. You could live your whole life in this community and at the end of your life meet somebody who also lived their whole life in this community and you never actually met them or knew their face. And we're oftentimes living that way, just kind of uh, in ourselves um, and kind of in our own little rhythm and, and focus. And again, that's not an indictment. That's just an observation of the way that most of us end up living our lives. And when it comes to Jesus calling us to follow him, it's almost primarily through that lens that we begin to view followership. That I think of my personal relationship with Jesus and how it impacts my day-to-day and my concentric circles and kind of maybe the little things that I have going on reflects on my relationships and on my responsibilities, but oftentimes we're not, uh, we're not taking steps back to consider like a bigger picture and consider the bigger invitation of what Jesus is extending to us. Jesus has called us out. He's called you out, but he has called, Jesus has called us out, out of ourselves, out of just our individualism, uh, certainly out of the ways of this world. He's called us to be different and to do different. To be different and to do different. And it starts in the being and it's supposed to work itself out to our doing. Many of us get kind of stumbled and tripped up trying to do before we know who we are. Uh, So we try to get our lives right before we have been made right in Christ, and that poses a lot of problems for us, but we are called to be and to do different, to a new way of being and doing. And primarily, the invitation is to be the church. The invitation is to be the church. And I'm going to pause right there because when I introduce that word, when I introduce that vocabulary, all of a sudden you all have an idea of what you think or what you have understood or what you have experienced that word to mean. What is church? Some of you might think of a location or a building or a specific type or style of architecture. Some of you might think of a season in your life of, a, of kind of a place and a time frame where the Lord was doing some specific things. Some of you would think of specific faces or people, maybe a Sunday school room. Some of you would think of programs. Uh, some of you would think 
uh, of kind of metaphors from scripture, the body of Christ, or we're kind of the, the sheep and he's the shepherd, and all of those things are appropriate. You might even think of like uh, a tagline or a nickname uh, for a place. If you were to look at our church history, our church has been in Sterling for 95 years. That's incredible, isn't it? 95 years. Uh, this church has been here, and when our church began right here on the corner, one of the things that was spoken of, that original church building and gathering, that this would be a lighthouse, that it would be a lighthouse to the community, and so that was language that was used, and maybe you would hearken back to that type of idea. In fact, it was referred to as the lighthouse on the corner, because that's where it was. But all of those thoughts primarily come from our own definitions. It comes from our experience. It comes from uh, some of the things that we have entertained, um, some of those things that we have enjoyed in our life, things that we've learned. Some of those things are informed in part by scripture and they all have value. They're all, they're all appropriate to a degree, but they are things that we are defining in ourselves to have our primary understanding and what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna see how when this, this language or when this idea is first recorded in scripture, that it was Jesus who spoke of the church, and it's Jesus who gets to say what the church is or isn't, and what it's to do or not do. That we've gotta come with this idea of the church being something that Jesus has informed. And we're starting there because as we move through this series of being called out, we're gonna go through the book of Ephesians. We're gonna look at Paul's letter to the church there because in many ways it's a church on, or it's a letter on how to do church, both how to be the church, unified, unified and undivided, how to understand an identity in Jesus, and then what that looks like in the doing, in the working it out, in the way that life is lived and done. But before we go to that letter and before we look at the praxis of being a Christ follower, we need to understand what Jesus has spoken of the church and what that means for our starting point. So if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible app and let's take a moment to uh, appropriately um, prepare our hearts for the Lord. Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts towards your word. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear as Jesus would describe it. Lord, that there would be a willingness to take in the seed of your word, that it would be planted and rooted in our lives and that would produce a harvest. We pray that you would give us the courage and the leading of your Holy Spirit and that you would give us courageous faith to keep in step with you this week, to apply your word to our life. And Lord, to walk out our being and doing as we understand ourselves in Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, I wanna encourage you to go ahead and at this point, if you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. And as you walk through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, it reads most often as a narrative, as Matthew is recording uh, the life and the ministry of Jesus. And in this portion of Matthew, you start bumping into a number of different smaller narratives. Jesus is going here, and then Jesus does this or says this. 
It's just a recording of really kind of the step-by-step or the progression of Jesus's ministry to different places, and it's marked by teaching, it's marked by miracles, it's marked by uh, surprising interactions. And on one occasion, in Matthew chapter 16, we're gonna begin in verse 13, it begins to record uh, really a surprising conversation between Jesus and his disciples while they are in, uh, in transit, really, from one place to another, arriving in a specific region. But in this passage, Jesus informs what he intends for the church to be. And so this is where we're gonna begin. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he's traveling with his disciples. Matthew lets us know that he arrived in a specific region, and then Jesus uh, uh, begins this conversation with his disciples, and he invites them to answer this question, uh, what are people saying about me? Right? What's the buzz on the street? What's the word in the herd? Who are people saying I am? And kind of what's the, what's the rumor mill producing? And there was no short to speculation. There was no, there was no uh, short um, speculation or there was, no, uh, um, there, there was no end to the ideas that people were coming up with. And so the disciples had ready replies for this. Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Now at this time, John the Baptist is no longer on the scene. And so this would be likened to like the idea of like, I think I saw Elvis, right? Or Biggie or Tupac, right? Like it's a conspiracy theory. I, John the Baptist isn't really gone. The, Jesus is John the Baptist. It's like, it's the straight okey-doke. It's the conspiracy theory. It might be him. People are speculating. They don't know, right? They don't have Twitter or TikTok or Facebook. They don't have those avenues. And so it's just the rumor mill where, where stories are being spread, and so some people said it's John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, so picking a very prominent uh, Old Testament prophet, one that was tied to Messianic prophecy with an expectation that God was going to bring deliverance, and so there was certainly conversation around that as Jesus was going about demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God, and working miracles like have not been seen since Elijah. And then others began to speculate Jeremiah or one of the prophets, that there was all kinds of ideas being propagated about who Jesus was, and then Jesus asked them a follow-up question. He said, but what about you? What do you, what do you think? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, and the way that this reads, it, it, it doesn't seem like he had to sit and to think about this. It seems almost like an immediate and impetuous response, and that's certainly what we would expect of Peter as an apostle because he was more apt to speak before he thought. His thoughts were constantly trying to catch up to his mouth and he speaks out here and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I don't know if he said that and then went like this, but he might have because oftentimes Peter spoke and then felt like he had to cover his mouth. But he got, he got this one right, right? He got this one right. Jesus said, uh, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, by my Father in heaven. Pete, I got good news for you. He got one right. And right here, you can celebrate Peter. You can celebrate with him because it's a short, uh, it's, it's a short run of wins. Because if you keep reading, uh, in just a few more verses, he gets rebuked by Jesus for listening to the wrong voice. So he gets it right here, and just a few verses later, he gets it wrong. And that's why you and I love Peter so much. Reminds us so much often of ourselves, but he got this one right. Pete, you're a winner here. Son of the living God. 
And Jesus continues on, and he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you to the, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And this, this interaction here is rich, rich with things that you could study, that you could go deeper on, rich with the ways that this could be applied to your life and in mine. Certainly the question where Jesus says, who do you say that I am is one that we all have to wrestle with and that we all have to answer. And that ultimately that should be a process that brings us to the discovery that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God, a declaration of faith and a receiving of salvation. Certainly that's something that we could spend a lot of time on and we could unpack. You can go into a deep dive on Peter and how this applies to him. Because Peter is actually being celebrated and singled out. There's some uh, mantle of authority and an expectation of who Peter was going to be and how he was going to lead the early church. There's declarations of, of Peter in uh, his leadership and in his prominence um, in this idea that, uh, that, that he was going to be a leader in the early church. And you see that when you read uh, the, the end of the book of Luke and when you read the beginning of Acts, you see Peter step into that role. In fact, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the disciples, it was Peter who went out and he spoke that first sermon and thousands, thousands, the very first message he ever preached, thousands gave their lives to Jesus. He was involved in the first miracle as you begin to look at Acts and the way that the power of the Holy Spirit began to demonstrate the same things, continuing on the ministry that Jesus had demonstrated in his own person, saying, you will do more and greater than even I. You begin to see that play out in Acts, and so you can certainly spend a lot of time here uh, speaking of Peter or focusing on him, but there is an interesting phrase, a very interesting phrase that is important for you and I that Jesus uses as he is answering and speaking, not just to Peter, but to who and what his people were going to be. In verse 18, as Jesus begins to speak of Peter's uh, uh, positional place and the way that he would exercise leadership, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, this phrase right here is so important, I will build my church. If you're a note taker, if you like to highlight things, if you like to kind of circle the big idea and hold on to it later or come back and prayerfully kind of begin to ruminate on that, you need to designate this verse out from the rest. I will build my church. And very often we will read that and we will do a cursory overglance of it and we'll kind of get on to the uh, resisting the forces of darkness and we'll get on to walking in power and authority and we'll move on to those types of things. But this statement here, this is the first place in scripture that a word, either Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, is ever translated as church. The very first time that church, the, uh, the, the word and the concept and the understanding of it for you and I, the very first time it was ever used, it was off of Jesus' lips, and it was this declaration, I will build my church. Whose church is it? It's his, right? It's his. How often do we say, I'm going to go to my church, you should come visit my church, hey, you should listen to my pastor, maybe you don't say that, but some people might. 
right? That there's this tendency for our ownership to kind of creep into it. And it's, it's not inappropriate when we use that in a benign sense, but it can be something that becomes twisted and possessive. And there, there's only one church, and it's Jesus's. And I, I just want to make sure that we are reaffirming that truth. Like this church congregation here, this isn't Pastor Ben's church. It's not our pastoral staff's church. It's not the council's church. It's not our leader's church. It's not yours. We're a part of a collective that has been called to follow Jesus, and we get to be his. And isn't that comforting? Like you get to be part of his church. You are Jesus's. Let me tell you, that's a safer place to be than if you were Ben's or pick some other secondary underling. There's one head of the church, and it's Jesus Christ. And so he makes this declaration here. It's a good reminder for us of whose we are, but he uses a specific word that's interesting to me. The word here that's translated for church is a Greek word that's called ekklesia. If you were going to go into uh, seminary or if you were going to go into theological study, there is a uh, kind of a doctrine or a theological bucket you could look at that's called ecclesiology. And it's like the study of the way that the church is and does. It's the ology of church. And it comes from this word here. It's ecclesia is the word that Jesus uses here. And this was not a, a newly invented word. This isn't one that uh, kind of was unknown or uncommon for the time frame. In fact, this word was in use frequently. And in the Greco-Roman context, the word was primarily used to designate a political or social assembly. In a political sense, they would go into regions or areas and they would pull out a representative from towns or boroughs or countrysides and they would bring a collective together as a representative assembly for decision making. They would do this in a social uh, construct as well. Now, it was also applied at times to little groups of religious adherents or people who were exercising type of, of religious practices, but primarily it was a social and political language that was being used. But the meaning of the word is so important because when they were gathering out a political representation or when they were gathering out a social representation or construct, the word literally means to call out of and into a community. And so Jesus takes this word and doesn't use it in a generalized sense. Not in a sense that says that it's going to be this, this ecclesia is going to be a representation of, of kind of the area or a political affiliation. He says, this is going to be my called out community. I will build my called out community. I will draw them to me where they will know who they are and they will, are, will know what they are to do. It was a called out community. It was this new corporate identity. And again, we stumble here a lot of times because when you and I think about following Jesus, we think about it individualistically. That is our frame of reference for both our time in human history and certainly for the culture of our country where we are highly individualistic in the lens and the way that we view our world. But Jesus, as he calls you and I to respond individually, we go corporately as a gathering of his people. There's one head and one body. 
There's his church and we get to be part of it. And so when he makes this declaration, it's so important to understand that he is declaring that there's gonna be a new way of being called out of, called out of living for ourselves, called out of living according to the brokenness of, uh, of the world, called out of all of the rest, and called to him, where we have an identity in Christ, and out of knowing who we be in him, we get to do from that place. And so we're being and doing out of an informed position in Christ, a new way of doing as we participate with him in the kingdom of God. And in this passage, I wanna give you three core distinctives of what it means to be part of that community. See, the, the, the gospel is something that is proclaimed to any and all who would hear, correct? The gospel is something that is available to anyone who would say Yes, in fact, that's the charge that the disciples have and that you and I have to go into all the earth and to, t to, to tell the gospel or the good news of Jesus. And there's this invitation and opportunity for individuals to respond, but the response is to be a part of the whole, to become part of the collective. And a lot of times, if you go back to my conversation with you earlier about what does it look like or what do you think of when you hear the word church, we fill that in with a variety of different ideas, again, based off our experience and our understanding. But there are core distinctives that should be and are always true of the true church. And you find those in this passage. Three things that are distinctives of the church that inform the way that we are to be in Christ and what we are to do as a result of that. And the first one is this. A distinctive of the ecclesia is that they acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. Acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. As Jesus begins this conversation with his disciples, he says, hey, what's, what's the rumor mill producing? Right? What are people saying about me? And then he turns it and says, but what about you? And then it's Peter's declaration that sets him apart and sets this whole thing in motion where Jesus begins to talk about his ecclesia, his called out community. And what was Peter's declaration? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And what is true of the ecclesia, what is true of the church, whether individual being expressed or collectively in a gathering locale or when you're talking about the big C church, the one body in the earth. They all declare the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's what is true of the church in all timeline of, hu of human history, regardless of expression, nuance in doctrine or style, it is to always be true. The ecclesia declares the lordship of Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul, and writing to the church in Rome about what it means to be a part, how, how to experience and receive salvation. Like, how do you become a part of the whole? He says it this way. If you declare with your mouth, what? That Jesus is Lord. It's the same declaration that Peter is making. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does it say? You will be saved. You are called out. Out of death and into life. Out of darkness, into light. Out of brokenness, into wholeness. All of those things. The great reversal of your soul happens at this point. You enter into the ecclesia. You become part of the community. This is the, the foundation of the church. It's not a place. It's not a style. 
It's not even necessarily doctrinal nuance. It begins with this declaration. Jesus is the Savior. That's the starting point. Declare the Lordship of Jesus. Let me sidebar with you really quick. If you are attending this church but have not declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're just attending church, but you haven't become part of the ecclesia. Jesus is calling you out. See, we get this mixed up. Like, a lot of times we think that Jesus is calling us into what? The seats? Into the pew? Into just like showing up and ticking the box on Sunday morning? That's not, that, that's not what Jesus called the disciples to do. He, that was never the invitation that he gave. He said to come and to follow me. Come and live life alongside me. L come and let me show you the most excellent way is the way that Paul would describe it. And so for you and I, for you and I, the starting point to being a part of the called out community is to declare the Lordship of Jesus in our life. And so Peter makes that declaration and Jesus is like, Pete, you got it right. Whew, finally, you got one right. And then Jesus begins to move on from there. And he says, blessed are you, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Something happened to Peter here. See, Peter was often speaking without thinking, and then his thoughts trying to catch up. And in here, Peter speaks, not a thought that he had, but something that he had heard from the Lord. And that's what Jesus affirms here. Peter, you are blessed because what you just spoke didn't originate in your own thoughts. It's not a deduction that you arrived at, but it was revealed to you by my Father. And this is something that is to be a distinctive of the church. The called out community is to declare the lordship of Jesus, but the called out community is to be led by the Spirit of God to be able to hear the voice and to walk in step with the Spirit. In Galatians chapter five, Paul would put it this way. He would say, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You've been made alive in Christ by the Spirit of God, so keep in step with the leading of the Spirit of God. And you might raise your hand kind of at that point and making that connection say, yeah, but how do we know that that's what was going on with Peter? How do we know that, that Peter heard from the, from the Spirit of God, especially when Jesus says it was the Father that revealed that to him? In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus takes a lot of time to talk about who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in the life of the believer. And specifically in John uh, chapter 15, the second part of verse 26, he says this about the Holy Spirit. He says that the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father will testify about what? Me. Now, I don't know if when Peter was sitting here, this is the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is the night that he began uh, institution of communion. This is the night that he washed his disciples' feet. All of that took place in this room and on this night. I don't know if Peter was smart enough to catch that what Jesus just described right here, he experienced in Matthew chapter 16 that the Spirit of God had testified about who Jesus was and had been sent from the Father. And so as Jesus said, that was revealed to you by the Father. You have all of that right there. I don't know if Peter was like, oh my gosh, that happened to me. You know what my guess is? That he missed it. My guess is that he didn't get it. 
because he didn't get most things. But that's what was taking place. The Spirit of God sent from the Father spoke about who Jesus was, and Peter was in tune enough in that moment to hear and to say, I know this one. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But that's not to be unique for Peter. That's the way that you and I are supposed to live our lives, that we're supposed to declare the lordship of Jesus in our life and then begin to live in such a way that we are attuned to the voice of God, the spirit of God, and the leading of God into the activity of our life, that we become uh, in Christ by that declaration of faith and then begin to live that out in step with the spirit. And so Jesus moves on from there, and then he makes his declaration of what it means to be the church, right? I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not uh, stand against this. And this has to do with uh, the idea of sin and death not being able to overcome the church and the work of God. This is less of the romanticized idea that somehow we're going to march on the, de- the, the, the gates of black death or something along those lines. We have a tendency when we begin to think in these terms to romanticize ourselves as knights of the crusade and we're going to go somehow topple the fortresses of darkness. You don't have to do that. He's already defeated. Jesus already did the heavy lifting. Just live into the promises. That's what we get to do. But as you move on from this idea, there's this statement that Jesus makes, and I will give you keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bound will be bound, whatever you loose will be loosed. And there's this interplay here, and in in many ways, Jesus is speaking to the authority that Peter is going to walk to and the prominence that he's gonna have in the early church, but the praxis the spiritual, uh, the spiritual underpinning of the truth of this is not reserved just for Peter. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus is giving a declaration and a commissioning to his disciples, those that were in, in attendance here, and this certainly applied to those in Acts chapter 1 and 2 who were in the upper room, and certainly applies to followers of Jesus on into the future, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go. Go and do. You're in me, and I have the authority, and you now have permission to go and do. It's the same type of commissioning that you see when Jesus sends the 12 and sends the 72 on earlier in his ministry, where they go under a mantle of authority and in the name of Jesus, and they heal the sick and they cast out demons, and they, they, they go with the good news. That they got to taste that, but then now they get to be commissioned to do that daily. That there's this commissioning and this sending in authority, and the ecclesia, the called out body of Christ, is to declare the lordship of Jesus, it is to, uh, um, to be lived in such a way that we are led by the Spirit, but then we are to walk in the authority of the name of Jesus. We're to walk and to exercise in the authority of the name of Jesus. As Mark closes his gospel, you have a similar commissioning that's being given to the disciples, and in that context, he's telling them to go and to heal the sick and to cast out demons and to do all the stuff that he was doing. He's sending them in that authority. And it's so important for you and I to recognize that, that we are to declare the lordship of Jesus in our lives, that we are to cultivate a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, to be led by him, and then we're gonna go with confidence. We're gonna go and exercise authority in faith, 
then that's not like somehow now you've got power or you've got strength or you've got a chip on your shoulder. This is not like the homecoming pep rally where now you're gonna go and grind it out and get it done and vanquish the enemy. It's none of that. It's resting in the finished work of Jesus and just going in the confidence that when God says he's gonna do something that he's gonna come through that I can walk in a full anticipation that the promises of God are gonna be something that I see demonstrated in my life because dad said so, that I get to walk with that type of confidence. And it's important for us to settle these three things. There's certainly more descriptors of the church and ways for us to go about understanding who we are and how to live that out in our lives, but we've gotta settle these three things before we start to look at any of that other stuff. Because if you go to the book of Ephesians, which talks about how do we be together and go do together, if you don't begin with this commonality of declaring the lordship of Jesus, being sensitive to the spirit, and walking in a confident faith that he's gonna do what he's going to do, what you are left with is you are left with the lesser systems of man, where we try and strive and we organize and we try to create in our own And the times in church history and the times in our own lives where that is the way we go about doing things, we're not effective for the kingdom of God and we're not effective in creating a unity. It's always something that ends up being lesser because we're going about it with lesser means. And so as we begin this series called out, as we begin this series called out, we're gonna allow the spirit of God to maybe call to our hearts today in a way to respond. Church family, if you would go ahead and stand and worship team, if you would come forward, we're gonna just make some room for the Lord to speak to our hearts today. And I wanna begin with this thought. Uh, in, in what way, in what way would Jesus be calling you today? Like how, how would the Spirit of God be at work in your heart or in your life and drawing you to response? You know, maybe you're being called to declare the Lordship of Jesus. You know, maybe you've done the church thing out of habit. Maybe it's kind of a new thing and you're just, man, I've been turning over other cards in my life and none of those seem to have worked and so I'm just gonna try the Jesus card here. And this morning, Maybe what you've heard is the invitation from Jesus to join his ecclesia, to join the church, to declare his lordship, to be born again, to be saved, to have Jesus in your heart, all the different language that we have to signify that. But really at its core, it would be, I'm gonna say yes to Jesus being Lord of my life. Maybe you need to join the ecclesia and to be called out into the community of Christ followers, and that would be appropriate. Maybe, maybe you've been quote unquote saved for a long time. You know, you've been a follower of Jesus, but there are places in your life that have not been yielded to his lordship. That there are uh, values, that there are things that you're pursuing, that there's habits, that there's parts of your life that as you have yielded to his lordship in response to your need for a savior, you have withheld those places that he would still bring health and wholeness to you. And it would be appropriate. It would be appropriate to say, Jesus, you're Lord of this too. You're Lord of this priority. I'm sorry that I've placed it above you. You're Lord of this valuation. I'm sorry that I valued that more than you. 
that there's an opportunity to surrender those things. Romans 10 would tell us that we just need to declare that Jesus is Lord and believe. And you could do that this morning. Maybe you're being called to live a life that is led by the Spirit of God. You know, it's possible to receive salvation, to declare Jesus as Lordship of your life, but to not live in step with the Spirit, to live out of step, to go in a way that you are going your own way and going in your own strength. And I can tell you, if you're in that place, a good way to, to, to be able to understand whether that's you is if there are places in your life where in your going and in your doing, uh, you feel empty and frustrated. That's a lot of times just a good little, it's a good little tell that I've gone my own way or I've tried to do it my own way. And it would be appropriate. It would be appropriate to ask the Lord to do a work there. Maybe you are being called to walk in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. I can't tell you how many times in my life and in the lives of those that I've interacted with that we have uh, been saved but lived defeated. Or we can say that we believe but we don't see it lived out. And for many times, we, we live into this defeat because we don't have the confidence to take that bold step of faith that says, man, God promised, and so God is faithful to his promises. That, that God moves, that, that God does. And maybe that would be appropriate for you today. Lord, we acknowledge that you are calling us out calling us out of ourselves, calling us out of just our little myopic individual comfort zones, Lord, that you're calling us out of the systems and the brokenness of this world. Lord, that you're calling, out of all of, uh, calling us out of those things that would compete for the allegiance of our heart and that you call us to yourself. Jesus, you said you would build your church, that the church is yours. Lord, forgive us for the times that we felt like it was ours, Forgive us for the times that we have acted as if it was exclusively ours. Lord, we surrender once again to you today. We acknowledge your lordship. Lord, for hearts here that would declare you as Lord, I pray that you would bring your salvation. For hearts here that would invite a move of your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would give them a sensitivity to your voice and a courage to follow. And Lord, for hearts that we begin to awaken in the power and the authority that is theirs in Jesus' name, would you give them a confident faith to act. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us out of the brokenness of this world and you, you have called us to yourself. And as we discover what it means to be in Christ and to live our lives in light of that, we begin this day by just saying yes. We say yes to you, Jesus. We will follow. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. A few action steps for you to consider this week. I want to encourage you to snap a picture with your smartphone or tablet, or you can catch these online later on. Number one, as I want to encourage you to begin each day declaring the Lordship of Jesus. That can be as simple as, good morning, Jesus. This day is yours. And then you can begin to move on from there. Number two. 
Begin to invite the Holy Spirit to direct your steps this week. I can tell you if you begin with that invitation, you will begin to develop a sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit. And then number three, begin to walk in a confident faith that you have authority in the name of Jesus to move into the plans and purposes that he has for you.